Awesome. Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Awesome. Awesome. Well, this year we have been journeying through the Bible again, a little bit different. This time we've been looking at the kingdom of God, that theme throughout the Bible. We've been working very slowly, as I tend to do. And uh, we've been working through the Old Testament, and we've been talking about Saul and David. And so this week, we're going to talk about Saul and David. (laughs) So today's message is called His Heart. Um, And but But the Lord sees the heart. And so that comes from this passage right here that I'm about to get to after we open in prayer. Father, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we ask that you give us your heart, that you would take our heart of stones and remove it and give us a heart of flesh and change our hearts to be in line with yours. Father, help us to to serve you well and to represent you well to the world around us. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this comes from the passage, 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Talking about David's oldest brother. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for, the, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. And so God chose... Now God rejected Saul as king, as we talked about. And he chose David to replace him as king. And he said, why? Because of his heart. He did not say because he was perfect, because we all know David was not perfect. He did not say because he is righteous and not sinful. We know that's not the case. David sinned greatly. God said, I have rejected all these other people as king because I even though you only can see from the outside, I can see the inside. I can see the heart. And I chose David because of his heart. And we can all say that David had heart. You know that phrase, someone has heart. Sometimes it refers to when David said, I'll take on Goliath. I've ripped apart bears and lions. Give me a chance. I'll take Goliath down. I won't let him curse my God. That took heart. He had a lot of heart. But that's not the heart we're talking about today. David got anointed by Samuel as king. God rejected Saul. Saul was disobedient. Saul was, do you remember the difference, main difference between Saul and David? Saul was not something. David was something. You remember what that was? Repentant. See, Saul sinned. He committed big sins too. But when he was confronted with his sin, what did he do? He made excuses. He said, no, 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 that's not really what was going on. No, 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 no. He made excuses. Saul was not repentant. Why? Because his heart was not right. Saul didn't grieve over his sin. Saul was not worried about his sin against God. Saul was only worried about what his position, his place, and what people thought about him. Saul did not repent and grieve over his sin. David did. David sinned, but when he was confronted with his sin, he grieved over his sin. He repented of his sin. And so David gets anointed as king by Samuel secretly. Now we can debate why, but 
main reason is probably because Samuel knew with Saul as king that if he made a public announcement and just invited everybody and told Saul that he was anointing the new king, that uh, that would be it for Samuel. And I'm not saying that's why, but I'm just saying he did not invite Saul to the anointing ceremony. He did not tell Saul that he anointed David as the new king. But God told Samuel what to do, and Samuel did what God told him. So God rejected Saul, and he told Samuel, go anoint David. Anoint him as the new king. So he did. But all of that, unbeknownst to Saul, Saul then, after that, after he anoints him as king, Saul then brings David into his court. Because Saul, after he was rejected by God, he was plagued by evil spirits. And Saul was tormented by evil spirits. And so it was told to Saul, if you find somebody who can play the lyre real good, they can come in and play the lyre and soothe your soul while the evil spirit is tormenting you and give you relief. And they were like, okay, who's a good lyre player? You know, I'm not lyre like lyre, lyre, pants on fire, right? It's, it's kind of like a harp, an old school harp. Okay. So he says, who's a good lyre player? And that's David. And so they go get David, and then the word is brought to David, hey, Saul wants you to come join him in his court. Now, what do you think David's thinking? Wait a minute. Samuel just anointed me as the new king. Saul's not happy. Uh, That's probably not a good idea. But he's in trouble if he does. He's in trouble if he don't. So he goes. He goes, and he plays the lyre, and guess what? Saul gets relief from the evil spirit. So David's new job as the secretly anointed king, is to help the current rejected king. David's job is to come in to Saul's court and to help Saul, to give him relief, to do good for Saul. So from the very beginning, David is now doing good for Saul, taking care of him. So then, after this, David then defeated Goliath and the Philistine army. So David was new Saul at this point. They're in battle with the Philistines. Goliath comes out every day, challenges them. And then nobody stands up to Goliath. And David, who is already in the king's court and already familiar with the king, then comes up to the king and says, I can take him. Give, let me give a chance. And that's probably a good reason why Saul was willing to take a chance on this boy. Because he already knew him. He said, okay. You go ahead. He defeated Goliath and the Philistine army, and then everyone fell in love with David. Everyone fell in love with David, and they sang the songs. David has killed his tens of thousands, and Saul has his thousands. It's the other way around, but you got my point. So they fell in love with David, and uh, Saul didn't like this. Saul became very jealous of David at this point. Saul liked him to begin with, And now he's become very jealous of David. After this, Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit again. I'm going to read through this and you just kind of follow along. Stick with me. Don't don't tune out. After this, Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit again. And so he tried to kill David by throwing a spear at him. This is after he's become jealous of David. Next time he's tormented by an evil spirit and David comes in to give him relief, Saul, being enraged at David, takes a spear and tries to pin him to the wall. But David escapes. Then Saul promised to give his daughter Merib to David in marriage, but he ended up giving her to another man instead. 
put throwing salt in a wound. Then he promises to give his other daughter, Michal, to him in marriage. But he told him that he had to kill a hundred Philistine soldiers before he would allow him to marry her. He did this because he wanted David dead, not because he wanted him as a son-in-law. He wanted him dead. So he thought to himself that because the people loved him so much, he couldn't personally kill him because then the people would turn on him. So he thought, why not let the Philistines kill him? Then he'll be dead and no one will blame me. So David ended up killing 200 Philistines and so Saul's plan did not work. So then Saul told his son Jonathan and his soldiers to kill David. But Jonathan talked him out of it because he knew that David had done nothing deserving of death or punishment. Saul then was being tormented by an evil spirit again. And so David was playing the liar for him. And again, a second time, Saul tried to kill him by throwing a spear at him. But again, David escaped. So at this point, Saul's given up on whether or not people care if he knows that he personally tried to kill him. Again, he tried to kill him. So this was not a very good working relationship. You know how you complain about work and you really think, boy, my job is awful? You know, just think about David. What if your job was to come in and, and play a liar for some guy who's going to throw a spear at you and try to kill you? That's not, a good, that's not a good job. So then David goes into hiding. He tells Jonathan that Saul is trying to kill him. So Jonathan stands up for David. And then Saul tries to kill Jonathan, his own son. He tries to throw a spear at him. Apparently Saul was not a very good aim. Either that or, well, let's just go on. So it's very obvious at this point the amount of hatred that Saul has for David, that he's willing to try to kill his own son. So now David has to live as a fugitive. He had to leave his family and life as he knew it. He went through a town called Nob. He encountered a priest there. And he lied to him in order to get food and Goliath's sword. And then he took off again. But when Saul found out that the priest had helped David escape, he, even though he didn't know at the time that he was running from Saul, Saul had 85 priests of God at Nob killed. So Saul is at the point where he does not care. We knew he didn't care from the beginning about obeying God. He didn't obey God in the beginning and he wasn't repentant from obeying God. And that's why God rejected him. Now he's at the point where he's killing God's priests. He kills all 85 of them because they gave him some bread and Goliath's sword. Not only did he then kill the priests at, the, at, at Nob, he then had the entire town killed. This should tell you the amount of rage and the evil that Saul had towards David. So Saul continued to hunt David down from town to town. At one point, Saul and 3,000 of his men were were hunting David down, and Saul went into a cave to use the restroom. David and his men were hiding in that cave. His men told told David to kill him. Here's your chance. God has handed him over to you. But David only snuck up and cut a corner off his robe. And even after doing that, the scripture says this. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. 
That's David's heart. He knew what he had done was wrong. Why? Not because Saul was some great guy, but because Saul was technically God's anointed. God had anointed him as king. And so because God had anointed him as king, David's heart, conscience, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say it, David's heart was convicted because he had done evil. A very small amount of evil, if you ask me. But he had done evil towards God's anointed, the king. Despite all the evil Saul had done and was pursuing him for. This was David's heart. So Saul, Saul quit pursuing David after he had this encounter. And David came out and said, look, I, Saul, you know, here's your corner of your robe. I had every chance to kill you. This is how close I got to you, but I didn't. I do not want to kill you, Saul. I do not want to kill you. Please stop chasing me down. So Saul realized that David really didn't want to kill him. And so Saul decided to go home and quit pursuing him. He ended up giving Michal, David's wife, to another man to marry. Then David had a second opportunity to kill Saul while he was sleeping. And again, David's men told him this second time. He's over him while he's asleep. And they told David, God has handed this man over to you. Kill him now. But again, David did not attack him because Saul was God's anointed. So David has to go on the run again moving from town to town to escape Saul, who has again picked up his pursuit of David. Then Saul and his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, end up dying in battle. But Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet. Matter of fact, what happened was when Saul and Jonathan and his sons died in battle, the nurse who was taking care of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, back home, she was terrified, of course. She thought they were going to come and kill Mephibosheth because that's what you do to the royal line. If you're trying to take over a kingdom, you kill everybody who used to be related to the king so they don't have a claim for the king kingdom. So she took off running with him in fear, and she, she ended up falling and dropping him and ended up making him lame in both legs. When the news was brought to David that Saul and Jonathan had died, this is how David responded. You ready? Good, because before we look at that, this just reminds me of a story that Ravi Zacharias told that I just cannot not share. It's okay to use double negative in church in Yatesville. I cannot not share this story with y'all. So, now keep in mind, The context is David just heard that Saul, the man who's done all these horrible things, chasing him down and caused him to run for his life, is dead. How would you feel if the guy who was hunting you down all all the time you found out was dead? But this reminds me of a story. Um, So Ravi Zacharias told this story. I won't do it as good a justice, but I like it, so I'm going to share it with you. So there were two brothers. Awful. And I don't call people awful, but it's a story, so I can do it. Awful. They were, they were crooks. They were vile. They were, they were evil. They did all kinds of awful stuff. And uh, one day, one of the brothers ended up dying. 
And so the other brother contacted a pastor who was familiar with these two guys. He contacted a pastor and asked him, hey, my brother's dead. Would, would you please consider doing the funeral? And the pastor was like, ah, is this such and such, you know? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the pastor was kind of, I don't, I don't know about doing that funeral. He said, he said, no, no, no. He said, I don't care how much it costs. I will pay you a huge sum of money to do my funeral, to do his funeral. I just ask one thing, that when you do his eulogy, that you say that he was a saint. So the pastor thought about it for a second and said, okay, I can do that. So funeral comes, pastor gets up, man's brother sitting right there, everybody's around, and the pastor gets up and immediately starts saying, the man you see in the coffin today was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He was a liar, he was a cheat, he was a crook. He was bad every which way you looked at him. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> now that's what we tend to do. That's what we tend to do. We we get our feelings hurt, we get upset, we get offended, and then we start throwing throwing blame. That's our heart. But this is what David did when he found out that the man who had hunted him down was dead. It says, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and all the men with him did the same. They, they mourned, wept, and fasted until the evening for those who died by the sword, for Saul his son Jonathan, the Lord's people, and the house of Israel. I would like to stand up here and say that I, I would like to think I have a heart like David's. But the more I keep reading and the more I keep trying to put myself in the situation, I don't think I do. And I think that's why God chose David, because of his heart. I don't think my heart is that tender. I don't think it's that soft. I'm telling you. If somebody had hunted me down, caused me to be on the run, caused me to lose my family, he left his wife on the run, and it was his, his, the guy who was trying to kill him was his daughter, left his wife to go on the run, and then he gave her away to somebody else. He, was, he, was all, he didn't get any sleep, a good sleep at night. He always had to sleep with one eye open. If that was my life, and then I found out that this man was dead, I would be relieved. I would be thankful. I, would, I honestly think I would be happy. But not David. David tore his clothes, and he mourned for Saul's death. He also wrote a lament for Saul and Jonathan. And in it, let me show you a couple verses of what in his song it said. He, in, in the song, he said, Saul and Jonathan, loved and delightful, they were not parted in life or in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxurious things, who decked your garments with gold ornaments. Do you see that? Unlike the story I just told you, at, when David gave a eulogy for Saul, he didn't say a negative word about it. 
Not one. He wrote a song, a lament for his death and taught it to everyone. How was he able to do this? It was because his heart was changed by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how. Because we don't have that in us. It's only the Holy Spirit's work to make our heart more like God's. That's how. Because God made a promise that if we would come to him in faith, that he would remove our heart of stone and he would give us a heart of flesh. That's what God said he would do. Now, by no means was he a perfect role model. I mean, we saw him commit outrageously egregious sins. But his heart was repentant. He grieved over his sin. He repented of his sin. And he was able to love even those who hated him. You see, there are three things that are going to last forever. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. You've heard me say it before. I'm sure I'll say it a lot more. And those three things is what matters most. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. Our hearts are sinful and inclined towards evil from our youth onward, the scripture says. It also says that our hearts are deceitful and we shouldn't follow them. I hope that doesn't ruin any of your favorite songs that talk about following your heart. The scripture says we should not follow our heart. But he almost, he promised to change our hearts. If we would follow him, if we would follow God. He will make us into new creations. And he will make us more into his image and make our hearts more and more like his. And I'm telling you, church, right now in America, that is exactly what we need. We need, as Christians, to have our hearts made more into the image of Christ's heart. We know what God's heart looks like. We know. Because God came to earth in human flesh and lived among us. And we saw what God did in the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Trinity. He took care of the sick. He took care of the oppressed. He looked out for the widows and the fatherless. He loved and did not return evil for evil. And when crucified on a cross, nailed to a cross by Roman soldiers, who then started dividing his garments and, and, and splitting up his possessions, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is God's heart. That even while we are rebellious and sinful and evil against him specifically, his desire is still to forgive us. Why? The scripture is clear. Because he loves us. Love will drive you to do that. When someone is evil to you, when someone is hateful to you, when someone doesn't care anything about you, love for that person can drive you to forgive them. 
But apart from love, that will not happen. And we don't have love like God does. We don't even know love like God knows love. I'm telling you, as, as, as the most loving person you can think of on this earth, think, just imagine who you think is the most loving person on the earth. And I'm going to say my mama, and you should too. <laughs> the most loving person on earth that you know, they don't even comprehend what true love is when it comes to the love that God has. We have not experienced it in person yet. When we leave this earth and we see God face to face, the scripture says that God is love. When we see him face to face, we will then begin to see a glimpse of that love. We can't in human mortal bodies, with our mind as it is, we can't even comprehend the amount of love that God has. But one thing is clear. He loves us because the scripture is clear that he loves us. He shows and proves that he loves us. Matter of fact, Romans 5, 8. Do I have Romans 5, 8? But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, sinners against who? Sinners against God. God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how you prove love to somebody. You show it. I heard that I heard someone say recently, I have to figure out who it was. They said, faith is not real until it's tested. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. You can claim to have faith. You can claim to have love. You can claim to have a lot of things. But when you get tested, that's when you know what comes out. That's when you know what's true and what's not. And it's through testing. Now, now hear me on this. It's through testing, through going through these hard and difficult circumstances where we have a choice that we can love or hate. We can forgive or not forgive. We can hold grudges. It's through going through these testings and only going through these testings when we come out on the other side that will either build character or not. Because when we are faced with these tough circumstances, if we choose to not love, if we choose to not forgive, we have not grown in character. But if we choose to love and choose to forgive, then our character will strengthen and grow. And it will make us who we are. And who we want to be is more like Christ. More like Him. So I'm warning you and I'm telling you. As, as it's always worn. You know, you, everybody uses patience. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't pray for patience. Don't ever pray for patience. Because God's going to give you immediately. He's going to give you scenario after scenario after scenario that's going to test your patience. Because it's only going through the testing that it grows. That your character grows. And so I'm telling you. When you ask for God to say, give me a heart of love, Father. Give me a heart of forgiveness. I'm going to give you a heads up. You're going to get situations in which you're going to be required to make a choice to love or to forgive when you don't want to. Why don't you want to? The scripture is clear because we live in sinful flesh. And the scripture is clear that the flesh wages war against the spirit. It does, not, it, 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 it does not want to do the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to do. 
And we will live in this sinful flesh until the day God takes us home from this planet and gives us a perfect, glorified, fleshly body. Until that day, we must struggle with this flesh. And do you know what makes it easier to struggle with this flesh? To stay strong through the testings. To stay strong. That when you're tempted to do whatever sin that your body tells you you want to do, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's alcohol, whether it's whatever it is, anything smoking, anything that destroys your body that you cannot, that you're tempted to do, you have to stand firm and say no. Because if you don't, if you give in to temptation, it don't get any easier to say no next time. It gets harder. But every time you say no to temptation, it gets easier. Why? Because through testing, you build character. And you build more and more character like Christ. So next time you get angry at somebody, and you want to chew them out, even if it's over the phone or in social media, you must resist those temptations and say no. Because this person, and I'm going to end with this, another quote by Ravi Zacharias, you're going to hear a lot from him, by the way. If I could just, just stand up here and just preach his sermons and me not preach, I'm telling you, you'd be very blessed, congregation. But one thing he says, and I'm going to close with this, a phrase I'm going to say it a lot, and I want you to really grab hold of it. He is an apologist, and so he answers questions by people who oftentimes are, are very genuine and want to know they're truly struggling and they need help with these answers. And a lot of times from people who are just adamantly opposed to Christ, who don't want anything to do with Christianity, and they're just trying to tear him down. And so when you do that for a living, you get the whole spectrum. But one thing that Ravi always said and teaches and does is that he said this phrase, behind every question is a questioner. And don't lose sight of that. No matter what somebody comes at you with, if they're trying to attack your faith, if they're trying to tear you down, if they're trying to accuse you of being a bigot, of being racist, of being hateful, whatever it is, if they're coming at you, always remember, behind every questioner, behind every statement, I mean, every question and every statement is a questioner, a person. And that person has a human soul, and that human soul will last forever. Do not lose sight of that. And one thing he always taught was you are not to try to win an argument. You are to try to win a person to Christ. Because truth is not impersonal. Truth is not just a statement of facts. Truth is a person. The scripture says that Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not impersonal. Truth is personal. Truth is a person. And so you're not trying to win arguments with truth. You're trying to win people to the truth, to Jesus. And do not forget that. And that should change how we think about people. That should change how we talk to people. That should change how we relate to people. Whether they agree with us on everything and we just sit around and laugh. Or whether they completely disagree with us and it's just always tension and a struggle to have a conversation with them. Remember that they are a soul. They are a person of, a, of, of infinite value and worth that Jesus died for. 
And that is the heart of love we must have for every single person on this earth. Because as long as they're breathing, as long as they're alive, there is still a chance that they could change, they could repent, and then God will take their heart of stone, He will rip it out of their chest, and He will take a heart of flesh, and He will stick it right back in. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit making us into a new creation that we can't do on our, on our own. But God can do it if we would just turn from sin and follow Him to repent and believe. And if as long as a person's alive, they still have that opportunity. So what we need in America, what we need in our country, is we need Christians who will pray to God to give them a heart of love like He has. And then when we pray for God to give us that heart, guess what He's going to do? He's going to take us and He's going to connect us with people who don't have that heart and who are going to test our patience and test our ability to love. And then if we will stay strong through that testing and we will love them and bite our tongue and bite our lip and restrain ourselves from doing what our flesh tells us to do, if we will love them then guess what? Not only will our hearts grow in love, but we will have just encountered and showed the love of God to the people on this planet and in this country who need to see real love. Real love. I love y'all. And I'm preaching to me more than I'm preaching to y'all. I sit in that house over there and I focus on a million things that at the end of the day don't matter. I'm not out there. I'm not out there having these conversations with people. But I need to be we all need to be. Oh, I'm sorry. We got to get back in church. <laughs> Let me tell y'all something. Jesus loves you way more than I do, and I'm telling you, I love you a lot. I'm sorry. <sighs> I'm telling you, and as a church, we need to love each other. And we need to, I mean, and I, and I want to I speak to the people at home. I do not want to pressure anybody into coming to this place because I want you to be safe and I want you to be at home and I want you to keep loving people. And you can love people and you can serve God from a distance. But I'm telling you, we need community. We need interaction. And it can be interaction by phone. It can be interaction by social media. We can FaceTime now. But we need fellowship. And, and you know what drives fellowship? Love. And so I just beg you and I plead with you to, to seriously ask God to change your heart and give you a heart of love for people. And let's, let's encourage each other. And let's lift each other up. And let's not be divisive. And let's not be argumentative. And let's not try to cut each other down because I think 
this and you think that and I can't believe you think that. Let's not be that, that way. Let's be a family. I love y'all. I'm praying for y'all. I hope y'all are taking time to pray for each other. Don't be afraid ever to call me, text me, let me know what's going on. I don't always have my phone on me, so I don't always answer right away, but I'll get back to you. But let's just keep our focus on three things. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Father, this world is so distracting. This world, honestly, the scripture says that we have three main things that we have to struggle with and fight against, and that is Satan and evil spirits. They really are real, and they really are out to get us. We have to struggle with our flesh. Our flesh is real, and we really have to fight against it because it is opposed to you. And the world, the scripture says, the world, the world is against you. And that, that doesn't mean the people of the world. That just means the things of this world. Wealth and all these things that get our attention and and get us focused on other things that are not you. We must stay focused on you. So, Father, help us. Help us remain focused on you, your word, and the fact that every person on this planet is a soul and their soul will last forever, even in, either in heaven with you forever in perfection or in hell, tormented, separated from you forever. And we must remember every person we talk to, their soul will spend eternity in heaven or their soul will spend eternity in hell. And Father, we just ask that you would give us the same love for people that you have for them. Father, we need you. We need you to change our hearts. We need you to give us compassion. We need you to give us patience. We need you to give us forgiveness. We need you to make us into the image of your son. Help us move your kingdom forward on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Father. And we thank you for your unending and undying and unfailing love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.